Amen. Father, we just thank you. Christ alone is our cornerstone. Lord, we're only made righteous because we wear his precious robe, because we were unashamed to call him Lord and bow our hearts before him, repent of our sins, and become a follower of Jesus Christ, born again into a new life, into a new kingdom, serving a new Lord, the true Lord, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Messiah of Israel and Father thank you for sending him thank you for opening our eyes and our ears and our hearts that we might see hear and understand that he certainly is the Lord of all Lord tonight we thank you that we have been brought into your kingdom through your Holy Spirit as he going around seeking a bride for the Savior Lord we're it's a privilege that's an honor to be part of your kingdom and a world that doesn't seem to want you. There are all but a few people that will call themselves followers of Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Lord, you are our cornerstone. You are the rock upon which the church of Jesus Christ is built. The church, the soon-to-be bride of Christ, we can't wait for that day, Lord, as we see this world going, getting darker and darker and darker each and every moment that goes by. Lord, it's only a matter of time when that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet you in the air. It's only a matter of time. Hopefully it'll be in our lifetime and we can get out of this place. We can be transformed in the twinkling of an eye and this immortality and this mortal will put on immortality. And we just can't wait for that day, Lord. We don't want to sin, but we, we do. Our flesh gravitates towards it. And as Galatians tells us, the flesh is warring against the spirit and the spirit is warring against the flesh so that we don't do what we want to do. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting us. Thank you for not condemning us. And thank you for convicting us so we can turn away from our sins. So tonight, Lord, as we get into your message, Lord, I pray that we hear, see, understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to each of us. Let us hear him loud and clear. And let us take and apply what we've learned from the Holy Spirit tonight as we dig into your word. Apply it to our lives that we might help your kingdom come to this earth. To you be the glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. Thank you, Lewis. That was awesome, awesome worship. Anyway, for those online that just tuned in, I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. You're listening to Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. You can check our website out if you're just scrolling through the Internet. Our website is Freedom Church. PB stands for palmbeach.org, freedomchurchpb.org. And you can check us out, find out where we're located, what we believe in. You know, you can listen to messages from years past. You can check out any one of our ministries. Uh, you can also donate online should the Lord lead you. And we thank you in advance for listening to the Holy Spirit. So, um, 
Let's see, you're, we're here every Thursday night for everyone that's online here tonight. You can tune in, you know, every Thursday night at 7.15. You can tune in every Sunday at 10 a.m., Sunday at 10 a.m. You know, this Sunday is to be a good Sunday to tune in and listen and watch, you know, what we do here and how we, we uh, minister and how we preach. And also, we're going to be having, be having communion so for those of you who haven't gotten out in a while and haven't had communion with your prospective churches or even this church, if you're a part of it, you know, you can have communion with us. And our communion our communion is with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we take of his broken body and partake of his precious blood that was shed for us. So um, we look forward to seeing you and having you here on Sunday. Also... If you men are local, we have a Bible study. It's not aired, but it's 9 o'clock every Saturday morning right here at Freedom Church. And uh, we'd love to have you. It's a smaller group of guys, but, you know, who knows where it's going to end up. But we have several churches represented, and even a pastor from uh, another church in the area, you know, comes here on Saturday too. So, um, you know what, it's a great time. So, uh, come on by if you're local, if you're live right up the street, or we're only a quarter of a mile west of I-95 on High Paluxo Road on the north side of the road. You know, you know um, we're right by a big restaurant called The Hive. You'll see the sign in the air. We're right, a building right in front of your eyes as you're looking at that, that sign. So um, if you would like to send your tithes and offerings or gifts to this church, you go to just... Uh, Go to our website, you know, go to the Give Lifey button, or you can even mail it in, 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida, 33462. Let me say that again. Freedom Church, 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida, 33462. So, we'd love to have you. But before we go on, I forgot to pray a little bit earlier about one of our numbers that's in the hospital. Um, and I want to pray for him right now. I think he might be being discharged, but for those of you that don't know, Eddie, one of our numbers, Eddie Sawick, he, he uh, was in an automobile accident, and his sternum was broke by the steering wheel in the accident, and um, he's having trouble breathing. But now they sent him home today after two stints in the hospital, not two days, two separate times. So um, he's going home today, his... His, uh, his uh, oxygen intake was around 82, 84, 85, and now it's up to 97, but that's with oxygen. So I want to pray for him real quick. Father, in Jesus' name, we lift up our brother Eddie to you. Lord, you know who he is. We thank you that he's going home today. We pray that his, his bones heal quickly, Lord, and his um, recovery be, be quick, Father God. And that he'd be able to breathe normally, and you can bring him back to us with his lovely wife, Carol. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless everybody. For those of you who are online, you can, I mentioned it earlier, we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 2. We did chapter 1 last week and the week before. Philippians chapter 2. I titled this message, Seven Steps in Christ's obedience, seven steps in Christ's obedience, or it can also be, you know, seven steps in Jesus' humiliation, but I, 
um, we're going to use uh, obedience. I do want a really quick review on chapter 1. We learned a whole lot in chapter 1, verse 19 through 30, we did last week. We had seven facts in um, seven facts in living for Christ. And I'm going to name them to you real quick. Number one, Paul says, for me to live is gain. To live means gain. Gain of spiritual fruit, everlasting life. Number two, to die personal, uh, to die is a personal gain. You know what? We don't like to think of it that way, but when we go home, it's personal gain because now you're looking at Jesus, not looking at a corrupted world anymore. You're looking at Jesus. And to be absent from the body, he tells us, is to be present with the Lord. And for 2 Corinthians 5. So number three out of chapter 1, verse 19 through 30. It's more in continuous fruit bearing. You're going to be able to plant more seeds in, the, in this world. You're going to reap a more and a better harvest as if you stay in this world, if you live for Christ. Number four, you'll have a desire to depart. <laughs> you know what? I've heard Lewis say it tonight. You know, right here, we have a desire to depart. We're not really anxious to go die. We're not going to jump off a bridge, but we're anxious to get to the kingdom of heaven. We're looking forward to it because we know it's existing, because the Lord told us it's existing. He said, you know, if you know, I go prepare a place for you, if it were not so, I would not have told you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again. I'm going to take you to myself. That's John chapter 14. You know what? You know, you will have a desire to depart, especially for the, for the rapture to get us out of this place. It would be awesome. Number five, you will be with Jesus, your true and your first love. He should be your first love. If you love money more than Jesus, you've got a big problem. If you love your family more than Jesus, you've got a big problem. If you love your spouse more than Jesus, you've got a big problem. Because if you learn how to love the author of love, your love is going to be so much deeper for, for your spouse, for your children, for your, for your neighbors, even for your enemy. You know, you will be with Jesus, you know, and, and you can return to your first love. His resurrection proves his deity. Number six of seven acts for or facts of living for Christ. To be with Jesus is far better, says Paul. He says, I, I, I want to depart to be with Jesus, which is far better, but it's needful that I be with you because, you know what, you're not where you should be right now. You need to grow up a little bit more before I'm gone. Plus, I love you so much, I want to see you. And you know that he started this church at the riverbank with a bunch of women. And then, you know, the Philippian jailer, when Paul and Silas were chained in the cell, and, you know, and they, they were singing praises at midnight, the earth shook, the chains rattled and fell off their arms and their, and their feet, and the prison doors were open, and none of the prisoners escaped. They were all under the power of the Holy Spirit being held there. Even though they were free to leave, they were being held there by the presence of Almighty God as Paul and Silas preached or sang praises unto the Lord. So nobody left. And number seven, 
of seven facts of living for Christ we learned last week in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 through 30. Living in the flesh is needful for the church. For the preachers out there preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, it is needful that we stay on in this world as long as we can so we can preach the message of God you know, to a dying world. And we have a great opportunity through Internet you know, to uh, preach to people that we can never preach to in this locality in which we live, in Lantana and Boynton Beach, Florida. So, so uh, it's, it's awesome. You know, Paul is, is addressing you in the spirit as, as he's uh, writing these words in Philippians. So here's, so I'm going to read Philippians chapter 2, um, the first several verses, and then we'll, we'll catch on, get, get on to it um, with, uh, with the study. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each others esteem others better than himself. Let each of us look out not only for our own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery with God to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, being, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." That's the verses we're going to cover here tonight. Seven steps in Christ's obedience. Let's go by first one. We've got a little bit of studying to do before we get to those seven points. Verse one, if there is any uh, consolation, consolation could also be translated encouragement. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, and mercies can also be translated, uh, translated to compassion. Okay, chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, Paul is talking to the Philippian church how to stand strong against external conflicts. External conflicts. In this chapter, you're going to see how, to, how, how he's going to say to stand strong about internal conflicts. So Paul's talking external conflicts in chapter 1, in, in chapter 2, he's going to be talking about internal conflicts. Okay, he's saying, you know, um, the external conflicts in, in the prior chapter was selfish ambition, strife, envy, contention, jealousy, fame, uh, and fortune, fame and fortune, and self-gratification. Okay, Luke 2.25 talks about encouragement. Um Jesus is through through Simeon, Jesus is proclaimed as the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit had mentioned to 
to uh, Simeon that he would not be going home to heaven until you know the the consolation of Israel would be revealed. In other words, the Messiah would be revealed to Israel. And when he saw that little baby in in the, in the his mother's arms, he was told by the Holy Spirit that that was the Messiah. I don't. He wasn't expect. He was. Probably expecting, I said one time, a big white horse coming through Jerusalem and wiping out all the Roman army. But that isn't what happened. Jesus came so he could wipe out all your sins and blot them out so that, so that you can be made righteous because of him. Because we have absolutely no righteousness of our own. Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. That is Isaiah 64. Now Paul's telling us how to act and handle our internal conflicts. And there's going to be five examples right here in this first verse. He says, you know, the consolation in Christ, to have encouragement in Christ. Internal. You know, be encouraged in Christ within your own body. Have the comfort of, of His love in you, agape love. To have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That's what you do when you pray. Even when you talk to the Lord, you're having fellowship with God the Father through the person of the Holy Spirit as you speak. And he says bows, which means affections. You know, we have internal conflicts. What is our affection? Is our affection for the Lord God or is it affection for this world? As I mentioned Sunday, Christians are to have a light touch on this world. A light touch on this world. A very light touch. And mercy, we're to have mercy or compassion for people. A lot of us today, we don't have compassion. I saw a lady on the street. Today I was at Home Depot. I come out of Home Depot, and there's a lady with two little kids, and she has a sign up, you know, that she needs money to pay her rent. She's sitting there with those little kids, and you could tell that she wasn't some humdrummer. You know, she was serious, you know, and I walked right past her. I didn't think anything of it, and I turned myself, and I says, you know what, something wrong with this. So I had to go back into Home Depot to get something, and I walked back out, and she was gone. She was gone. So, you know, I, I go to, to the red light, which is down to turn onto the, onto the main highway to get up to I-95, and there she was with those two little kids. And the Lord spoke to me, you know what, this is a true thing, a true thing going on. So I handed her a couple bucks. You know, I won't tell you how much. It's not that much. Certainly wouldn't have paid a rent. I'll put it that way. But the point is, we're supposed to have compassion. We're going to run into times. There's times in, in my life where I, I had a need, financial need. And you know what? Other people met that need. I didn't even have to tell them half the time. I'd just come home, and there'd be a bag of groceries on the step. I'd come home, and there'd be 100 bucks in my foot and in, uh, in my shoe. You know, it's just that way. You know, we're to have compassion on one another because you're going to see people in your own body of Christ go through hard times, and they might need a hand. You know what? Have compassion. If you sense it, do it. You know what? Sense it and do it. And test, test the Spirit if you think there's something wrong with it. You know, but we got to be careful. Back in Jesus' day, we didn't have, they really didn't have to worry about picking up a hitchhiker and getting shot dead or something like that. But today we have to war worry about it. But there was, you know, the Good Samaritan. Somebody beat that Good uh, that Samaritan up on the road, and, you know, somebody came along and had compassion. 
The priests failed, the scribes failed, the Pharisees failed. But a Samaritan came and helped them out. You know what? We are to have mercy. We're to have compassion. And Paul says you fulfill his joy by being of one accord, like-minded, having the same love, and having unity, having compassion. Verse 2, fulfill my joy. That's what Paul is saying. Have compassion. Have mercy. You know, have, have uh, encouragement in Christ. And have true agape love and fellowship with the saints. And which is a point I want to get to now just to cover it while we're there. Fellowship. For those of you staying at home because of all the changes in the last two years, it's time to get out and get back to church. I have another church that, like I told you, we have a pastor in a men's group that is from another church, you know, in the area. He, they, they told us on Sunday or Saturday that their church has never come back either, just the same as Freedom Church. Listen, you do not get fellowship in the Spirit sitting at home in your rocking chair. You get that by coming to church and hugging on your loved ones and even giving them a holy kiss, not a, not a kiss that's anything other but holy. Okay, it's time to get out. The devil has uprooted the church, and we fell right into his snare. It's time to get out and get moving. You know, fulfill my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of the one accord and one mind. God loves to see his children working together in unity. That means the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the, the Catholics, those that believe in the gospel of Christ, that he came, he died, he was buried, and he was risen the third day according to the scriptures. That is the bottom line of the Christian church, and that is how we are. We can walk together. We walk together in Christ. So we could have other dis disunities, but you know what? They mean absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. And therefore, for you to think your way is better than the other person's way is pride, and pride will make you have a fall. Pride will lead to a fall. There's just no doubt about it. The Scriptures point to it. God loves the church being undivided in heart and in mind and in one accord in the gospel, loving one another always, because Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And all the more as you see the time drawn there. That's John 13, 34. You know what? We are to love one another. All men will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. But as the one church feuds against the other church that still believes in Jesus, the world sees that and they go, what a mess. We've got to get together, church. We've got to see, see what's, um, what is the truth and what, how to follow the truth and how to follow and love and have mercy towards one another and to fellowship with one another. This fulfills Paul's will for the Philippians, but it, fulfills, it ultimately fulfills God's will for the church, not just the Philippian church, but the church as a whole. So that first verse, Mandel, means second, first and second verse mean a whole lot. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. 
Strife can also be translated in the New American Standard Version instead of the New the King James Version. It, it, it's uh, selfishness or vainglory in the, new, in the King James Version, but in the New American Standard, it's empty conceit. You're thinking too highly of yourself. Empty conce- conceit. Here's the application. We are to have a humble view of ourselves. That verse tells you that. You're to have a humble view of yourself. Knowing your faults and knowing your true self. None of you are righteous. There's no, not one. All of you have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Sure, you're better than that person that just went to jail for uh, murdering somebody. Sure, you're better, but you're not better and you can't stand up to the righteousness of God. You will be consumed in a moment without being covered and believing in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that made you righteous on the, as he till went died on the cross for us. He who knew no sin became sin and died on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's that simple. That's the gospel in a nutshell, if you believe in him. Here's 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh highly stand firm. Think he's think highly standing firm. Beware, because he's going to fall. That's paraphrased. 1 Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. That's a simple formula. Jesus even gave us a parable. When you go to a wedding, don't sit in the prominent seat. Sit in the back. And that way, you know, you won't get embarrassed when you get moved out of that seat. So, you know, you've got to be humble. Moses was humble. Joshua was humble. Joshua was Moses' servant. Moses was the most humblest man on the face of the earth, says the Scriptures. Pride will lead to a fall. You must be humble. Here's pride in it talked about in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. For any one of you to think you're, you're, um, you're, you know, you're full of pride, you're going to fall. Just like Lucifer did from the kingdom of heaven. He, got, he wanted to build himself up. He got proud and he got thrown out of heaven because he was trying to exalt himself above God. And he got thrown out and he was put down. And for all people that have pride, they will be put down. I suggest you get rid of it right now. Our selfish ambition here will lead to a fall. Ambition is good, but not self-ambition. Not selfish ambition. Our ambition, here's what it is in a nutshell. I have an application for your ambition as a believer You should be ambitious about glorifying God and serving Him through Jesus Christ. That is the Christian ambition, to serve and glorify the Lord God. Number verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, put away your selfish ambition. Put away your conceit. Put away your needs. That aren't really needs, they're really wants. Put away your high-mindedness and your tendencies to be, be absorbed with self. 
Here's a summary of those first four verses. We are to look into people instead of looking down on people. We're to look into people instead of looking down on people. Then we will be filled with compassion for people. That's what the first verse of, of uh, this chapter you know, says in the New American Standard Bible, if any affection and compassion. We are to have affection and compassion. Verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling us that in chapter 2, we're now embracing, he's now embracing how we are to think. We should be embracing how we are to think, not just act. Chapter 1 was act, external conflicts. This is internal conflicts. You've got to em- you emphasize how you are to think. Not about external conflicts now, about, about internal conflicts. Number six, verse six. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus was very clear as to who he was. That's why a lot of Hebrews don't, don't like Jesus or don't want to, don't, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Yet, the scriptures are very clear in John 10.30, I, Jesus is quote, saying this himself, I and the Father are one. Wow, that's pointing to his deity. That's why they didn't like him. And even today, that's carried on. John 14, verse 1 or 9, He who has seen me, remember Philip said to Jesus, Show us the Father. And Jesus said, Philip. Have I been so long with you that you don't recognize me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. You didn't see the Father in all his glory. You're seeing God the Son manifested on earth who laid down a lot of his attributes to even come to earth. He put himself totally into the presence of Father God and Holy Spirit to even walk on the earth because they tried to kill him in Bethlehem when he was about two years old. Two years old. Okay, listen. He was born humble. He couldn't do not. He couldn't do nothing about it. If if uh, Herod's soldiers would have caught up with him, he had to be under the protection of God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. He put himself there willingly. That's called faith, church. Jesus had faith to put his hands himself totally in the hands of God the Father and the Holy Spirit to keep him alive while people were trying to destroy him. Even when he grew and walked through the crowd because they wanted to throw him off the cliff in his hometown, he just walked right through the crowd. He put himself in the hands of God the Father and the Holy Spirit. John seventeen twenty two, that they may be one even as we are one. He's talking to the Father. I want the church to be one as we are one. If you went into the Old Testament, you got scripture after scripture that talks about Messiah. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 52, verses 9 through 12, I believe it is. Uh, Psalm 22. You know, you got scriptures, Isaiah 7, 14. 
that a, a virgin would be with child, and she shall name his name, call his name Jesus. You know, we got all these scriptures, 365 of them. There's nobody else. For if you're Jewish or Hebrew out there, there's nobody else that could fill, fill all those scriptures except the Lord Jesus Christ throughout all of history. And also, it's right down to the, practically the day within Jan, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2. But made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here's where your seven steps in Jesus' humiliation starts. Seven steps in Jesus' humiliation. Number one. He consecrated to humble himself. He was consecrated to humble himself. He took the form of a man. He humbled himself to a fleshly body. Hebrews 10.5, the second part of it, B, which says, A body was prepared for him. Sacrifices of bulls and goats, God did not desire. A body was prepared for the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5b. Remember, he humbled himself. He existed with God the Father in all of eternity. He existed. You've got to remember that. He humbled himself. He was the king of the universe. And he humbled himself to come down here and took the form of a man. And yet, even were even even. Worse, what can I say? Not worse than a man, but he was also brought into the world as a child. He was totally humbled, totally humbled that, you know, by God the Father and by the Holy Spirit and for his mother and stepfather to take care of him until his ministry began. He emptied himself of his divine abilities. He emptied himself of his divine abilities. Step two. And Jesus' humiliation. He laid aside, aside his divine form. He was born as a baby. And he was raised as a child. He had to learn all these things. Instead of uh, some more glorious form. Why didn't he come as an angel? Why didn't he come as a full grown man? Why He didn't. He humbled himself. He laid aside his glorious form. He could have came as a cherubim or a seraphim or some other kind of holy angel that's up in the kingdom of heaven. He could have came as a lion of the tribe of Judah, expressing it, riding on a white horse as a stallion, you know, slaying people, but he didn't. He sl his sword slays the sin in your heart and convicts you so that you can come to know him as your Savior. But instead of coming as a world leader or a king or a president, he came as a humble lamb. A humble lamb. Read Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And read John chapter 29, the lamb of God. Or chapter 1, verse 29. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Number three, he laid aside... He made himself of no reputation, born as a man, born as a baby, born in an obscure 
place where there wasn't even room for the king of kings in an inn. He had to be born in a manger or a cave outside around the inn somewhere. He was born in an oppressed place. He was born with a humble trade. He put himself on the line by to be empowered by the Spirit, saying, in John chapter 5 and verse 30, Of my own self I can do nothing. Jesus said this about himself. Yet we, yet we just went through, in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, we just went through about 12 miracles that Jesus did. But what did he say here in John chapter 5? I could do nothing of myself. He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit, depending on the Holy Spirit. When Jesus laid eyes on the blind man or the, or the leper, he had to have faith that the Holy Spirit was going to do as he said. And his faith is what brought it into fruition. And the faith of the people also. He trusted his life into the hands of the Father and the Spirit. And if Jesus could do nothing on his own, guess what? You can't do anything either. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, Philippians 3. Boy, doesn't God, you know, the scriptures open up a whole area for us to express our faith. Number four in Jesus' humiliation. He took the form of a servant. He was born in poverty. He was the servant, the king of kings. He who knew no, well, the king of kings became a servant. And he, he walked about people that were despised by the wealthy. He was born in the form of a servant. He had submitted to obedience as a human child to his mother and his father. And even while he walked on the earth, he submitted himself to weakness, to hunger, to thirst, and to even being tired. Number five in Jesus' humiliation. He was made in the likeness of men. His companions were, were men. They were simple men. His audience appealed to poor and simple people. He launched out into a public ministry. He wasn't put there being born as the king of kings and set in the temple of Jerusalem. He had a purpose, and that was to come to lay down his life that we might be able to take up our lives in him and be a... And, and enter the kingdom of heaven, being born again. He launched into a public ministry for several years. Number six, he humbled himself. He humbled himself even while he was being mocked, when he was being shamed publicly. He humbled himself when people spit in his face, pour on his beard, whipped him with a cat of nine tail humbled himself when he was laid on that cross and nailed to it. He endured physical and spiritual agony. He humbled himself. That was your agony on the cross and my agony. He took it for us. Thank you, Jesus. He humbled himself to be sacrificed 
for you and for me. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin, says Hebrews. He allowed and he adored temptation. Even the temptation by the devil himself. He endured it. He humbled himself. Number seven, he became obedient unto death. He submitted to death on a cross. His submission to the Holy Spirit. He submitted himself to the death on a cross. He submitted himself to the Holy Spirit. And he submitted himself to be totally obedient to the Father himself. Truly, you, Lord, are worthy to receive glory and honor and dominion and power now and forevermore. You know what? We're ending early tonight. We're going to end early tonight. But think about it. Seven steps in Jesus' obedience and humiliation. Let me go through them real quick. He was consecrated to be humble. He laid aside his divine form. Made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a servant, number four. Number five. He was made in the likeness of men. And number six, he humbled himself to mocking and beating and shame publicly. And number seven, he became obedient to the death, even the death of a cross, which was known as the most cruel form of capital punishment that was ever that had ever existed. So listen, we'll probably, we'll probably, we're going to be in probably Philippians next week, but I'm not sure. We're going to see how the Holy Spirit leads us. But we're going to close here today. And I'll see you on Sunday for those online. Don't forget Communion Sunday. Get, make sure you have some crackers and some grape juice, and uh, we will have communion together with you. Father, today we thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you humbled yourself. And you went to the cross, and you died for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that, that you called us into your kingdom. We don't deserve you, but you called us anyhow. And then your Holy Spirit gave us the courage to say yes. Lord, today, if there's anyone out there that needs, that needs a Savior, and there, there's a whole world full of them, but anyone that recognizes they need a Savior, I pray that tonight, they will receive Christ Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, that they would confess with their mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and they will be saved. And then, coming as they are, they will not stay as they are because the Holy Spirit will help them change and begin a new life in Christ Jesus. And to you be the glory for it all, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. God bless the church. I love you all. See you Sunday, 10 a.m.